what that tells me is that we see here that one of the things that hinders revival in our life is when we have pride. And so we need to humble ourselves, it says here, but pride is a problem. When we look at the word pride in the Old Testament, it means to rise or to swell up. It refers to the rising of the waves of the sea. It speaks of a man who thinks more of, them, of himself than what God can do through that person. Pride, is, pride says, I don't need God. I can make it on my own. I know what's best. I can call the shots in my life. And that's one of the problems we have today in the modern church. Pride. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 17, and this is talking about the Laodicean church, it says, Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. These people said, hey, we need nothing. No, we, need, we all need God, don't we? The, the church, the Laodicean church, didn't even realize that. There was a pride problem. We've learned in our churches today and in our Christian life, we've learned how to get through life without God. And it's a big problem. We need God. We need God's help in everything that we do. And I want you to understand something. Without the Lord, we can do nothing. And don't ever forget that. God hates pride. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter number 6, verse number 16, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto them. The very first one, a proud look. A proud look. Pride. God does not like pride. God hates pride. And there's more that I can talk about. The Bible talks about how God resisteth the proud. And as we talk about tonight, what do we need for revival? We need to lose pride in our lives. Pride refuses to listen. It always interrupts others. Pride likes to talk about itself all the time. Pride has an intense desire to be noticed. Pride believes that it deserves everything it gets. Pride is not thankful. Pride cannot be corrected. Pride does not like to follow instructions. Pride exalts itself in the presence of others. It brags. Pride criticizes and tries to make itself look better by putting others down. Pride thinks of its own needs first. It's an example uh, Muhammad Ali, he was on an airplane once. He was standing up in the aisle, taking, talking and laughing and entertaining passengers. And finally the stewardess came up to him and said, Mr. Ali, you have to be seated and fasten your seatbelt because the plane is about to take off. Well, Muhammad Ali looked at her with a snarl and said, Honey, Superman don't need a seatbelt. She looked at him and said, Yeah, and Superman don't need no plane either. Now sit down and buckle up. <laughs> Sometimes we just need to be humbled a little bit. God has a better plan for his children to humble themselves. The word humble means to bow the knee, to bring down, to place self under another. Pride will, all, will not allow, think about this, pride will not allow the prideful person to bow their knee even to God. God desires his people to humble themselves. We need to take steps to humble ourselves. Think about when Jonah entered into Nineveh and preached the gospel to them. What did they do? They proclaimed a day of fasting and they humbled themselves. 
What do we need today? And we look at our country and what do we need as God's people today? We need to humble ourselves. We need to realize that we are nothing without the Lord. He found us. He is everything. And we can accomplish nothing without Him and His help. John 15, 5 tells us that. I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same, bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If we're going to have revival, then we must get rid of pride. What's the second enemy of revival? The second enemy is prayerlessness. The Bible tells us here, My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. And the second thing is pray. Prayerlessness is the first cousin to pride. Prayerlessness says, I don't need to call on the Lord. I can make it just fine without His aid. Prayerlessness does not say He's all I need, but I am all I need. Prayerlessness relies on self and doesn't rely on God. It's a fact that we, you think about this, we need prayer in order to have revival. But you've got to understand, revival will never come without prayer. Prayer is so important. Prayer looks to God and says, I can't, but you can. Prayer acknowledges personal, profound dependence upon the Lord. We do not have revival simply because we do not pray. And we do not, and you think about this, and we do not have revival too because we don't pray as we should. Charles Finney said this, and he was known for the revivals that he, cared, that he, that he um, preached. Prayer is the essential link in the chain of events that leads to revival. If we're going to have revival and turn this thing around, we've got to lose the pride. We gotta lose the prayerlessness. We need to pray. Too much of our praying is formalistic, repetitious, long-winded, and does not really depend upon God. We need to pray to Him. D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist from Chicago and went on vacation to England. And when he went on vacation, he wasn't planning on preaching while he was away. He was on a sabbatical, but he met a preacher there who said, Mr. Moody, you're so well known. Would you come and speak at our church? So, of course, on vacation, D.L. Moody ended up preaching for the man. That afternoon, Moody wrote in his journal that they had the deadest crowd he'd ever seen and that the only thing worse than preaching to those people was that he had promised to go back that night and preach again. But he went back that night, and about halfway through the sermon, something happened. The people started to come to life, and he felt compelled to ask if anyone would like to become a Christian and a lot of people stood up. He didn't know what to do, so he said, maybe you didn't understand what I was asking. So when we are dismissed, if you want to become a Christian, come over to this little room and meet with me. When the service was over, he went to the room and it was packed. Moody said to the minister, what does this mean? He said, I don't know, but I think you need to preach again tomorrow night. The next day, Moody got on a train and went to Ireland to continue his vacation. But when he got off the train, there was a memo that said, Come back, revival has broke out. So Moody got back on the train, went back to the church and preached ten straight nights, and over 400 people trusted Christ as their Savior. Moody couldn't understand how this happened. The people were dead and something changed it. 
what happened was there was an 80-year-old invalid widow named Mary Ann Adelard who had read one of his sermons in the newspaper and started praying every day that God would bring D.L. Moody to her church. Her prayers led to that revival. The enemies of revival, pride, prayerlessness. Number three, priorities are the enemy of revival. Say, what do you mean, Pastor? Look at that verse again. And my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. And look what it says. And seek my face. The word seek means to search out by any method, especially by worship and prayer. The word face refers to the countenance to turn towards his direction. This little phrase is calling the people of God. What it's telling them to do is, it's telling the people of God to stop looking for help and purpose in every other area in life and seek God. Get your attention back on God. Get your priorities back where they need to be. You see, revival doesn't come to a people who are not seeking for revival, but to people who are seeking God. That's the key. That's what we need. Far too many people are caught up in what God can do for them instead of seeking Him. If you're following my devotions during the mornings in the book of Mark, you'll see that the people were not after Jesus because He's the Son of God. They liked the fact that He healed people and that He did the different things that He did. That's why people followed Him. And that's why the crowds didn't stick with Him all the time because there was this, what can Jesus do for me? What can I get out of Him? And sometimes I think that's how we view Christianity. I'll go to God because I need something right now. I didn't care about Him before. I don't really, it doesn't, he doesn't really matter, but I need something now, so I'm going to go. And we, we'll look at the book of Mark and be like, those people, how could they do that to Jesus? Man, they, just, they were using him. But isn't that what we do? We use him. When things are good, God, I'm okay, I don't need you right now. When things are bad, hey God, hey, I need you right now. I need you to fix my circumstances for me. We think about this and priorities here. And if you've got to be honest today, what is the number one priority in your life? Is it to seek God, to seek His will? Is it your job? Is it your bank account? Is it your retirement? Is it your family? Is it your church? Is it your spouse? Is it a hobby? Or is it the Lord? When anything but God is number one priority in your life, you're out of balance and you're not a candidate for revival. You want revival, you got to seek God. That's what it says here. When God's our first priority, we're going to care about the things He cares about. When we're seeking His face, we'll be seeking Him and keeping our focus in the right place. Priorities are an enemy of revival. If you really want to know what your priorities are today, then ask yourself this. On what activity do you spend most of your time? On what activity do you spend most of your money? Or on what do you focus your thoughts? Misplaced priorities are the enemy of revival. We think of Nineveh, where Jonah preached. The priorities of Nineveh were all messed up. Jonah came to town, gave the message of doom and destruction, and the people from the king down 
got their priorities fixed and sought the Lord, and they had revival. What are the enemies of revival? Pride. Pride's an enemy. Prayerlessness. Priorities are an enemy of revival. And number four, presumption is the enemy of revival. God finally tells his people to turn from their wicked ways. That is, they're to forsake their sin and embrace holiness. The problem in Israel is that they were guilty of presuming upon the grace and the goodness of God. And that's the same thing we do today. We say, I'm saved, and some of the, and some of the things I do don't matter. They do matter. Sin keeps us from the presence of God. Sin hinders your relationship with God. And there are many Christians out there that say, Oh no, I can live my life and do everything, and the Lord loves me. He does love you. There's no doubt about it. There's no way you could ever deny His love. His love is there, and no one can change His love, and no one can separate you from the love of God. It's settled. That's not a question. But your fellowship with God can be hindered by sin in our lives. And sometimes, and don't ever get that idea that, okay, I'm saved, that, okay, I'm good, I'm good to go. No, you've got to keep your sin confessed. It's easy to see the hypocrisy and sin in our nation today. We can look around and see we need more money for school, so what do they do? They legalize gambling to help with that. We need to stop teen pregnancy, right? So what do they do? They teach sex ed and hand out condoms at school. We need to stop, and they open up abortion clinics. We want a, to balance the budget, so we raise taxes. There's so many things you can look and say, well, that's not the right way that that should be, and that's not how you should handle it. But what do we do in the church? Why aren't we having revival today? Why are God's people so complacent to the things of God? Why is this? Hey, you too. always bad to be the pastor's son now the pastor say something to you huh i always i always thought when i was a kid i always was so thankful that my dad wasn't the pastor because i couldn't get called out i just got dirty looks from my mom down at the end of the row if i ever was loud during church so, so be good right there for me so i know you guys were trying to help each other out with something there but if you distract me i'm gonna lose track i'm on point four i'm gonna go back to point one then no one gets to eat and we're just going to be here the rest of the night. And, you know, hindrances to eating could be boys talking in service. You know, that could be the way it goes. And um, it's easy for us to look at our world and see the wrongs. Hey, we can look at government and say, how dare Gavin Newsom tell us not to sing in church? That's wrong, and he shouldn't do it. And I agree. To look at others and say it's wrong that they would do these lockdowns. We could see the wrong in everywhere else, but what about in the church house? How about ourselves tonight? Hey, church people sin. They drink, they steal, they lie, they cheat, they commit adultery, they engage in things outside of marriage that they should not. They carry hatred in their hearts. They walk in pride. They walk in hypocrisy. They drag the precious name of Jesus through the mud. And he cannot and will not bless a mess like that. So, hey, we got to get serious about this thing. And we got to understand, thank God 
we're saved by grace, but grace doesn't give you a license to sin. What we need is a season of repentance where the people of God repent, turn from. That's what the word repent means. When it comes to salvation, salvation, repenting means you're turning from what you believe and turning to Christ. That's repentance. That's biblical repentance. But the people of God need to repent in their lives. We need to turn from the sin that's in our lives. The Bible tells us in James 5.16 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The key word in that verse is a righteous man. That refers to a person who's holy, upright, keeping the commandments of the Lord. Does that describe you tonight? Does that describe me? Are you a righteous man? Are you a righteous woman tonight? Can God hear your prayers? And could you be an instrument of revival in his hands? We need revival today. We need a big dose of God. We look at our country today and we say, oh, there's so many problems. And there's so, many, there's so much rioting going on and all this destruction trying to tear down our values and take the history. And I gave you a lot of history this morning. And I want you to understand our nation was founded on biblical values and principles. Were the men that our founding fathers, were they perfect? No, they weren't perfect. But none of us sitting in the room are perfect tonight. And it's amazing that now we decide to judge someone's character who's been dead for 200 years. And what we're trying to do is eradicate the foundation of this country. Because if you can get rid of the foundation, if you can destroy the history, you can move it in a new direction. And that's not what we need today. We need to get back to God. We need to get back to where we were. But church, the answer's not in the White House tonight. The answer is not in the state house tonight. It's not down in city hall. The answer is for God's people to get a revival in their heart and do the things of God. That's what we need today. Hey, if you got pride in your heart tonight, tonight's the time to get rid of that pride and say, Lord, without you, I can't do anything. Because if you've got pride in your life tonight, God cannot work with revival with you when you've got pride. God resisteth the proud. But he gives grace and the humble. We've got to humble ourselves before God. Hey, we've got to pray. Get on your knees before God. We talk about praying for government today. Pray, pray. Spend time in prayer. Instead of spending hours on Facebook, spend time in prayer. That would help you out a little bit, wouldn't it? Some of your worries, some of your anxieties could go away if you just spend more time on your knees before the King of Kings with someone who can do something about what's going on around us. But if you're not praying and have no desire to pray, you're not a candidate for revival. How are your priorities tonight? Do you just use God? Or are you sincerely seeking, God, I love you and I want to know you better. I want you to transform my life. I want to be more like you. I want to please you. I want to live for you. That's a candidate for revival. God, I need you because I'm having a tough time. Bail me out, and we'll be good. That's not how it works. That's not how you get revival. Priorities are the enemy of revival, and then presumption. Confess your sins to the Lord. Turn from your wicked ways. 
You want to help your country today and you want to see our country make it to 300 years as a country of liberty and freedom, then God's people better wake up. God doesn't judge a nation based upon the wicked people of the nation, the heathen. If he did, we would have been gone a long time ago. God judges a nation based on his people. And when his people don't care, why should he? I'm not getting after people here, but I heard several churches today in California where they didn't sing in church because they were going to obey the governor's mandate. Tell me how we're going to get revival when we're listening to government over God. You tell me that in that area. It's not going to happen. We obey God rather than men. I think Acts chapter number 5. And for the past four months, I've heard over and over again Romans 13, Romans 13, Romans 13, Romans 13. If you don't know what Romans 13 is, it's a great passage that talks about listening to government and things. But Acts chapter number 5 has been in the Bible well before Romans chapter 13 was. And there comes a point where you obey God rather than men. But you don't use that excuse for everything either. Like, bless God, we're going to shoot off fireworks tonight because it says nowhere in the Bible that you have to shoot off fireworks. You can just say your pastor was a dummy and didn't realize that they were only good till last night in the city and that you'd get fined $1,000 if you shoot them off tonight. I can follow Romans 13 when it comes to fireworks. Singing in church, I will follow Acts chapter 5. Meeting for church, I'll follow Acts chapter number 5. There are things to battle, and there are things just to let go of. You know, one of the things in just a minute, and some of you, I know you're mad at me, and you're thinking, I know some of your thoughts, I'm not going to say who you are, but I know there's some of you in the room. But we're actually going to do a biblical thing in a few minutes. Fellowshipping with God's people is a biblical thing. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We're supposed to encourage one another. So you're going to be able to do something spiritual by fellowshipping with one another. Now, would it have been more fun to shoot off some fireworks? Sure. Yeah. I bought them for tonight. That's why we got them. I, yesterday afternoon, I'm like, oh, man, I didn't buy them yet. I drove and bought them because I'm like, I'm the, I almost forgot. But if the church keeps the apathy that we have, we're in trouble. We might as well just give up. But I don't think I pastor a church of people who are ready to be apathetic and give up. I think I pastor a church of people who are ready to do God's work and stand. And I, I think God could do something great in this place. But it starts with all of us humbling ourselves and praying, getting our priorities right, and turning from our sin, then God can do something. How many of you want God to do something? How many of you still believe God can? Then are you doing the things that you need to do? Father, we love you and we thank you.